0: Hey Mariners Pod, welcome back. Thanks for being here once again. As on today's Mariners Pod, you know, it has been a really tough year when you think about the Hall of Famers we've lost and the list is long. I mean, Whitey Ford, Bob Gibson, Lou Brock, Tom Seaver, Al Kaline, Joe Morgan. So, I was thinking about just that list of guys and I guess I've started to think about it too when We were talking about Dave Niehaus, uh, his passing 10 years ago, uh, a couple weeks ago. And I was thinking about all those Hall of Famers we've lost. And I was thinking about how many of those Hall of Famers we've run across over the years. And, you know, a couple of them, it's it's amazing. And it's something I never take for granted. You know, you grow up a baseball fan, and, you know, Al Kaline is a great example. You, You hear a all the stories about Al Kaline, how great he was. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm sitting in the booth in Detroit, just getting ready for the game one day, and who rolls in but Al Kaline? And then you're hearing Al Kaline stories from Al Kaline himself. I mean, he's sitting right there. I I think I've told this story, too, one of my favorite. I was in the booth at at home in Seattle at T-Mobile Park, and – Lou Brock was there, and he was going to join us for an inning, and he was there promoting something. And my dad's from St. Louis, so I always knew all about Lou Brock and Bob Gibson and and those great Cardinal players through the years. And I was like, wow, Lou Brock, this is so great. And it also happened to be a night at the ballpark that we were celebrating the Sonics. So there were a lot of former Sonics around. I mean, downtown Freddie Brown and Jack Sickman. Gary Payton was there. And it just so happens you know we're in the booth. The game's going on, and you know if you can picture the booth, there, there's a front row where now Rick and Aaron and I kind of sit, and then there's a back row that's kind of elevated, and that's usually where Shannon Dreyer sits. And there's a couple open seats up above us. And so I was sitting there for the ball game. This is a, a number of years ago now, and Gary Payton happened to roll in while Lou Brock was about to go on air with us. So you know I am sitting there in the top row, and Lou Brock is next to me. Gary Payton is next to me. You know, I was a huge Sonics fan growing up, so the fact that Gary Payton there was amazing. And it was just Lou Brock and Gary Payton just carrying on this long conversation, which is just something I will never forget. And Gary Payton being Gary Payton just animated. It was so great. So, so fun. So I thought about some of these conversations, and fortunately, we had a number of of these Hall of Famers on air with us. So I thought we'd revisit some of these conversations. And one of them is Lou Brock. He did go on air with us. And it's really interesting. I guess I'll get more in-depth with it as uh, before I play it for you because the half inning he was on with us was interesting in a number of ways. So I'll talk about that Uh also, Jared Apoto has a great Tom Seaver story. We never had Tom Seaver on the air with us, but Jared Apoto has a great story that I'll play for you. Just a couple of years ago, we had Joe Morgan on. Uh, he came on with us when we were in Houston. We happened to be there when the Astros had their initial Hall of Fame class, and Joe Morgan was part of that, so he came on air with us. So that will come up. And also uh, a really nice conversation with Aaron Goldsmith and Al Kaline. And Al Kaline talks about facing Bob Gibson in the conversation as well. So that we'll do that in a few minutes. So this is, I think, a, a fun one to revisit some of our, our great conversations through the years. And I guess why don't we start with the Lou Brock. And what's interesting about this is, so just so you know, he, he was on with us during an inning. And I cut out, I edited, otherwise, because the inning lasted forever. It happened to be the last start for Eric Bedard in a Mariners uniform, and it was an eight-run inning that was put up against him. He got bounced in it. So the conversation with Lou Brock is happening while this inning is going on. So he's on the air forever. But I essentially sliced it down. You will hear some of the action, but I sliced it down to just – the conversation with Lou Brock still it's like 15 minutes long and that's what cutting most of the action out but it's kind of funny how stuff works so that's the first conversation is with the great Hall of Famer uh, Rick Riz and Dave Valley with them on this broadcast with the great Lou Brock
1: I have a very special guest up here in the booth uh, one of the greatest outfielders in the history of the game with uh, the St. Louis Cardinals for many many years Lou Brock is with us he's in the Hall of Fame and man I had a chance to watch uh, Lou play for many many years growing up in uh, Chicago here's the lineup and the 0 1 pitch swung on ground ball tore the hole in short and through for a base set so Kachman gets aboard and one of the worst trades in the history of the game of baseball the Chicago Cubs you were with the Cubs for about three years 1964 you get traded away to the St. Louis Cardinals for Ernie Brolio Lou. And the folks in Chicago are still reeling from that trade. What did you think about the deal at the time?
2: Well, it's funny you were mentioned that the trade deadline coming up probably (laughs) this week, this weekend. Uh, When it happened, I get a lot of talk about that. One of the guys who covered that trade was a rookie writer, never had written a story before. And it turned out to be uh, Brent Musburger. Oh, yeah. And uh, that trade, ever since then, has been sort of in baseball oh. history as a of the C- well, lopsided trade.
1: It, it was lopsided because you went on and had a Hall of Fame career. Here's Kelly Shop and he takes a strike from Bedardo and one
2: Well, and not the fact that Ernie Brolier wasn't a good pitcher. I mean, he had won oh, 60 yeah. games. So, therefore, I didn't feel too bad when I got traded for value.
1: And the next pitch is Shopik, blowing inside for ball one and one and one, visiting with uh, the great Lou Barack and Blue. What brings you to Seattle at this time?
2: Well, I'm a spokesperson for Diabetes Awareness, a program around the country. Uh, tonight is Diabetes Awareness here at the ballpark. I was, came out just to support the American Diabetes Association, and therefore I got a chance to come see the game and talk to you. And to enjoy the beautiful sunshine here in Seattle.
1: Well, it's finally here with us, Lou, because it wasn't this way a few weeks ago. But now we have some beautiful weather. Swinging to a foul back by Shopik. And the count one and two. So best of luck with the Diabetes Association. Visiting with the Hall of Famer Lou Brock. Lou, what was your best moment in the game of baseball? You had so many uh, great games in the game with the Cardinals.
2: Actually, 3,000 hit, you know, yeah. once in a while, you get to be known as a runner. I stole a lot of bases, and people forgot about the fact you had a bat. <laughs> uh, the 3,000 hit was the uh, crown of my career, and all the rest of those things. Seem to be stars Everything that crown. Here's the
1: pitch, and a swing and a miss by Shafik for strike three. So, Bedard with a second strikeout, and there's one away, visiting with the great Lou Brock. Lou with 938 career stolen bases. He had 118 steals in 1974 when he established the single season mark at that time. Here's the pitch on the way and it's outside for ball one one and one. And what do you remember about that night when you broke the record?
2: Well, it was uh, quite a few people in the stand. And what I remember most is that the pitcher on the mound for Philadelphia were more than nervous than I was. <laughs> you <laughs> made a lot of pictures nervous. Yeah, he was a little shaky out there, and I <laughs> thought, this is a good chance, time to do all of these things. Yeah. But uh, it was a, a big night, and I was 35 years old at the time. They equate that to a 10-year-old horse running in the Kentucky Derby. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's what I mostly remember about it. it was, a, it, was a, it was a task, and it got done.
1: Well, I was a 19-year-old kid, and I happened to be at that ball game. Drove up from Southern Illinois University to watch that game. That's the night you set the record. Here's the pitch low and outside, ball two, two and two. And ten years later, you were nice enough to sign that ticket. I kept that ticket with me for ten years. And I met you at the Adams Mark Hotel in Kansas City, and you signed that ticket for me, and I appreciate it.
2: Well, thank you. Thank you for asking. you for keeping up with it. That's a hard thing to do for 10 years to hold on to a ticket. Oh, that was my good luck He
3: kept it in his wallet. (laughs) He kept it in (laughs) his wallet. It never left his person.
2: Wow. Yeah. That's
3: incredible.
1: Yeah, and you signed it for me, so thank you very much. Besides being blessed with tremendous speed, obviously, some great base dealers in the history of the game. There was Maury Wills and and you. Here's a pitch on the way, and it's high for ball three, three
2: and two. Then Ricky Henderson came along. What made you such a great base stealer? Number one is the Cardinals actually wanted to use the stolen base as a weapon. Uh, the meeting was called, and there was Craig Flood, McCarver, and I, Bob euchre And uh, when the manager said we would have a base stealer, neither one of us were base stealers. So Eucher volunteered, and uh, the, the manager said, "Brock, you're the guy." So I had to go out and learn how to steal bases. And then who t- Euchre. You brought up Bob Euchre's
4: name. Bob Euchre. Yeah, Bob could run. Well, he thought he
2: could.
1: <laughs> That's amazing. You mentioned his name.
2: Well, only because he volunteered in that meeting to be the guy. Really? To actually, <laughs> I can't can see you doing that.
3: But how could you could do it? He was never on base. At least Lou was on base. He so. didn't play that right. much.
2: <laughs> well, he knew that none of us was able to run bases well as Mario will. So he might yeah. as well be the guy. Here's the 3-2 pitch to Matt Joyce out of
1: the way. Swung on, popped up, fouled out of play. Still 3-2, visiting with Lou Brock. So the Cardinals went to you and said, listen, we're going to steal some bases. And you and Kurt Flood did.
2: Well, they thought that to be competitive against the Dodgers, you had to steal bases. Uh, Bob Gibson could match Koufax pitch to pitch. Ken Boyer could hit as well as Tommy Davis. But nobody could run and match Mario Wills, who actually got on the base, and he just dominated the game. Yeah. The Cardinal wanted to do that, too, so I was the chosen person for that.
1: Well, they chose the right guy. Here's a swing and a pop-up behind home plate and out of play, heading for Mr. Brock. And the count is uh, still 3-2. Blue, are we ever going to see another guy steal 100 bases?
2: I think he will. The real base stealer is not in the game today. I don't see anybody out here with world-class speed. So when that runner shows up, he, he will steal bases because he's going to be big and he's gonna be dominating and yeah. running gonna be part of what he does. So that world class speed runner is not in the game anymore. He's in football, but he's a D-back. Yeah. And today he's basically walking the street.
1: Love to see another yeah. blue Brock somewhere. Here's the set by Bedard, and again the 3-2 on the way to Matt Joyce. Curveball and it misses outside for ball four. So a Joyce with a walk. Kochman is pushed down to second base. There's one out, no score. Bedard in another jam. No score, top of the second, visiting with Mr. Lou Brock.
3: You know, Lou, you, you brought up a great point. You were talking about how so many people look at your career and they, they think of you as speed in the stolen base, but you did have over 3,000 hits. But when you look at the base stealers today, you can't steal first base. Right. 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 Oh, yeah. right and, and, and right. you you worked you used the bat you were an offensive player who learned how to steal
2: so absolutely the, and that's what i was talking about the manager came to me and said you're going to steal bases and i just thought he was not he was off his rocker <laughs> 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 after all i was getting about 200 hits a year and is that shit, all that was yeah. all, <laughs> that was all. <laughs> he wanted you on <laughs>
1: second base after you got that hit
2: yeah but get on the base and dominate the base to take over the game that was not part of what I did but uh, didn't take long before I was able to do it. it took about a year and a half and then I began to love it here's Sean
1: Rodriguez and first pitch of strike the next offer is a curve down and in for ball one one ball and one strike on Rodriguez
3: for you what was easier to steal second base or third
2: well I had some hitters behind me who You dare not try to steal third when they was up there. They were RBI guys. So during my era, basically was getting in scoring position with your second base.
1: Okay. That makes sense. Swing and a miss by Rodriguez. And the count goes to one and two.
2: But in your career, you hit 293. Actually, I wanted to hit more than that. But uh, somehow those pitchers were a little tough out there. <laughs> they
1: were trying too, weren't
2: they? Yeah, they were trying to. After all, you know, one out of three is tough to do. You're not kidding. And you know what see, I enjoy hearing uh, the broadcaster saying this guy is a ground ball pitcher. Hit the ball on the ground. Most ground ball, one out of three is a hit. And when you bet in 333, you go to the Hall of Fame. That's right. <laughs>
5: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> so you can make a Hall of Fame player about hitting one out of three. I mean, hitting ground balls. And that's the neat part of uh, baseball.
3: Well, with great speed like you yourself, we've seen Nitro do that over the last decade. Hit balls on the ground and come out with 200 hits a year. The next pitch on the way is outside on Rodriguez, 2-2. Two and two.
2: Well, his style of hitting. He comes close to Ralph Gar type hitting than anybody else. Ralph Garr was one of those guys who leave home plate. You would think that he's out of the batter's box. Yeah. But yet he was still there, but he was on the move. Ichiro does it with the best of him.
3: Now, Lou, you played in an era when I was growing up, when I fell in love with the game of baseball. Who are your three toughest pitchers and the three greatest players that you saw or played with?
2: Willie Mays may have been the greatest I ever saw. And I was in the National League, so I didn't see a lot of Mickey Mantle. But uh, I don't think anybody could play Willie Mays and uh, the guy called Hank Aaron. Oh, my. Uh, in terms of pitching, they had Sandy Koufax. Uh, certainly, as a hitter.
3: And you were left-handed.
2: Yeah, you want to get a good <laughs> swing at a pitch. And Sandy, you did that, but you couldn't hit it. But there was another pitcher named Bob Veal. may have been the toughest oh, yeah. I've ever seen. He was big, Brandon Johnson-type pitcher, and I never got a good swing at him, and I must have struck out 18, 19 consecutive time, I guess. And I was you weren't the only leagues. one, buddy.
1: Business <laughs> <laughs> with uh, Lou Brock. Lou, you had that tremendous career in the big leagues for a long time with the Cubs and the St. Louis Cardinals. And then at the end, after he retired, resigned to the Hall of Fame, here is the set. And the 2-1 pitch on the way, swung on, fouled out of play, and the count is even at two balls and two strikes. What was it like standing up there in Cooperstown?
2: You know, people ask that question quite often. I always say that now you have been voted in, you're a nominee, you're standing there, all of the Hall of Famers around you. All you know is that you have a seat among those guys, and basically you just want to say, do not bother my seat until I make this (laughs) speech because here's
1: the pitch, one on, ground
2: ball to short, taken,
1: bobbled by Ryan, he's got it. The throw to first, and it's in time to get Longoria on the play. Jennings will score from third, and the Rays now have a 4 nothing lead, and there's two outs in the inning, so give Longoria a run, bat and in. But that, that had to be a tremendous moment for you. It's
2: a tremendous moment, in as much as you know that somewhere around 17,000 men to play the game, that's only about 200 that made the Hall of Fame, and you've been one of them. And you feel fortunate to have been selected. Uh, it's not something that you can look at and say, I want to do these yeah. things. you got to be selected.
1: Well, congratulations, buddy.
2: <laughs> you know, funny you that question. This past weekend was a Hall of Fame induction. Yes. And uh, about 45 guys came back to watch Blight. I mean, Blight Levin. Yeah. yeah.
1: Robbie Alomar, Pat Gillick.
2: They did tremendous well at the microphone. They were nervous. <laughs> and I thought. Bill Mazeroski was the epitome of going into the hall. He had waited so long. He stood at there about five seconds. Cried. Couldn't go any further, and that was it. That now, was it. He was done. He was done. He was done.
1: He sat down, cried and sat down. Right. <laughs> Some people say it was the greatest speech of all time. We think it was. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: it was short for you guys. It was guys. short, but the fact emotional, it, 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 it was. Yeah. It, it went off the Richter scale.
1: Yeah. Dave uh, Niehaus talked yeah. about that. He's close friends with the. Uh, was close friends with Bill. When you first came up with the Cubs, what was it like playing with Ernie Banks?
2: It was a joy. Ernie is was the kind of player and still is the kind of man that talks to everybody. He just talk, And it made you feel comfortable. He knew everything about you. You walk into the big league, he tell you your name, what college, what your college coach's name was. You huh. go, wow, wow, this is big league baseball. Uh, that's Ernie Banks. He was the only person who could ever do that. One of the greatest ambassadors yeah. of all time. Actually, Ernie used to drill me every night as to could you hit Sandy Koufax? Can you hit dry, dry could, I mean, I could not go to sleep to answer these questions.
1: Really? Yeah. Say, <laughs> <laughs> so, Ernie, how did you do against Sandy?
2: <laughs> well, he always had he a theory. He said this guy just had oh. two fingers on the ball. The other one got three fingers on the ball. He got to release it. And uh, you can hit him. You can do it. He was a great encourager.
1: Lou, were you signed by Buck O'Neill?
2: Yeah. Yeah, I was scouted by Buck O'Neill and uh, Southern University of Baton Rouge. And Buck O'Neill signed myself, Ernie Banks. Wow. George Ortman. Wow. Yeah, he was pretty good. He had a pretty good eye for talent.
1: Yes, he did. Yeah. How come he's not in the Hall of Fame? Here's the pitch down and away on Kochman for ball one. There's a special buck o'neill achievement award but i'd love to see him in the hall of fame for what he did in the negro leagues with kansas city bringing you guys to the big
2: leagues i doubt if he'll get in he had that last shot at it about three years ago and that was it but the fact is that the hall of fame have gone so far to create a buck o'neill award so yeah. his name uh, being immortalized in the history of baseball
1: lou i'd love I loved it when we'd go to Kansas City and Buck was there. He still had that bounce in his step and that smile on his face, that energy, that life, that passion for the game and the people who played it and telling the
2: stories about cool Papa Bell. (laughs) Oh, man, and Satchel Paige, his roommate. Speaking of Buck O'Neal, you know, they tried uh, one year to make him the oldest player to go to bat in the minor leagues. In the minor leagues. Yeah, he was in his 90s. So he got into the game. They said, do not swing at the ball. Uh huh. And they threw a pitch rather close. Buck swung at it. No way. When <laughs> he asked him what happened, he said, they got it a little close. <laughs> <laughs> at 90 years of yes. age. Yes, he took a wow. big whack at it.
1: I knew about Minnie Minoso. Yeah. Playing in, what, five decades? Right. Wow, Buck O'Neill. God.
2: So his name is in the history, his history book. Sure miss them. Well, they play a different brand of ball today during my era. I hate to say it, two or three batters would be on their back by now. Yeah. <laughs> they don't pitch inside don't anymore, Lou. No, 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 that's why.
1: Here's the pitch on the way, swinging <laughs> a foul out of playing the third base side. Well, and that's a great
3: point. The other thing is that that is so amazing to me to see the number of hits that you had in, a, in the pitching era. I mean, yeah. you were you playing in an era, as you mentioned, you get two hits the next time up, they're throwing one to knock you down, to try to intimidate
4: you.
2: Well, Gaylord Perry, for an example, I had two, three hits off of him in a row, came up the fourth time, he's looking at me, and every time you start to wind up, I'm back out of the box. <laughs> and uh, eventually he yelled, I don't want to hit you. I said, oh, okay, so I'm bad now. But uh, you he knew it was you? coming. No, he didn't. He <laughs> oh, kept <okay>. his word. <laughs>
1: Gaylord was here in Seattle back in 1982 and 83. Won his 300th game here in
2: 1982 as a Mariner. But he was he was yeah. terrific. He yeah. was terrific. And he could get into a hitter's head in a hurry. All he had oh, to yeah. do was put his hand to his mouth and do all those things and throw you perhaps one of the wicked fastballs you ever saw.
1: Super, super sinker. Here's the pitch. 2-2. Swing and a miss for strike three. <laughs> Joyce goes down swinging. And that will finally end the inning. But the Rays bat around for eight runs. Here in the top half of the second, Lou Brock, thank you so much for coming by tonight. It was a joy.
2: Well, thank you all for having us, and uh, we're pleasure to have been presented here as the American Diabetes Association. Lou, thanks for stopping by. Thank you.
0: This is a really great story. If, you take, if you're a Wheelhouse listener, you know that Jerry Depoto, uh, Tom Seaver, was his hero, and I love this story about Jerry Depoto's first interaction with the great Tom Seaver.
4: On, on Tom Seaver, I will tell you this: as as I may have mentioned before, my favorite player growing up, and uh, Sandy did not deliver me a Tom Seaver autograph. But when I was a rookie, I was I was playing for the Cleveland Indians, and this was back when ESPN or, or or ABC there was there was a game. It was before kind of the regional sports networks, and there was a game on TV almost every night where you know you had ESPN Monday night, Thursday night, Friday night baseball, etc. So in addition to your local cable network, you would get the, these these one-offs on national TV. And you know, I was with the Cleveland Indians right as we were rebuilding or, or ascending toward that World Series team in '95, and we were we were just leave, leaving New York. And and uh, I'm looking at uh, across the field. Tom Seaver was then uh, uh, an announcer, you know, the color guy for WPIX, the Yankees. Cable channel and and I was just kind of staring at him from across the field and one of my teammates said just go ask him for an autograph I said I can't ask him for an autograph it's Tom Seaver There's, I'm not going to go talk to him and and you know he won't bite type thing so I went and, and spoke with him and leaned on the cage and it's the first time I met him and he's since become you know I, he's he's a, a baseball hero of mine but I leaned on the cage and and I said I said Tom it is a pleasure to meet you I am your biggest fan and. He turned around and he said, I've never heard that before, you know. And and jokingly smiled at me and and we talked for a brief period. And and then we got back to Cleveland the next day on a getaway day. Uh, that night or that day in in, in New York, uh, Jim Abbott threw a no-hitter against us. So apparently it wasn't great luck that Tom Seaver and I had our first <laughs> chat. But we, we made our way back to Cleveland and the clubhouse guy came and presented me with a with a a brown paper bag. And he said, hey, the, Tom Seaver, you know, we were getting ready for an evening game on, on ESPN. And he said, Tom Seaver passed this along, wanted you to have it. And I opened up the bag and it was a baseball sign, you know, to Jerry from your number one fan, Tom Seaver. And that, that still holds a very prominent uh, position on my desk. So uh, you, you brought a good memory back. Oh my gosh, that is a fantastic story.
6: What were, can, yeah. you, can you imagine? Do you remember what you were like when you opened that up? I and mean, that must have been a utter shock for you.
4: Oh, it was like a kid in a candy store, truly. And and it's a uh, of, of the many things that I've collected through the course of my time in the game. I my I think I, I may have mentioned this. Like my my brother who is uh, my brother's a psychologist in suburban Kansas City. Uh, big big. Tom Seaver fan himself growing up, and, and he's asked me about my biggest thrills, like, what were your biggest thrills, and, and uh, you know, and that is one of them, the first time I met Tom Seaver, the first time I met Nolan Ryan, just the, the, the first time I faced George Brett. You, you get that, that you get to do the things that you dreamed about doing when you were a kid, and it's just, it's it's phenomenal to, to kind of live the, the life of Riley, where you, you realize all your dreams, and it's awesome.
0: So we were in Houston a couple of years ago and Joe Morgan was being inducted along with uh, many others into the initial Hall of Fame class for the Houston Astros and he joined us for a half inning on the air.
5: Joe, who did you pay it forward? Nellie Fox, you know, got you going when you were as you were you became an established player. Who did you pay it forward to? What guys did you take under your wing?
7: Well, I think when I, it was actually all turned out to be
1: pitched out then... to be popped up foul on the first base side and it's going to be out of play and it's own 2 It
7: was actually most of the guys in Cincinnati. They brought up a lot of young guys. Griffey, Concepcion and those kind of guys and I just kind of passed along what they taught me uh, and, and make no mistake about it. I've said this a hundred times that everybody should be blessed to play one season with Pete Rose. I'll bet. I know Pete has done a lot of things and I'm his biggest critic for doing things but I tell you what I lockered next to Pete Rose for eight years
5: you played with him in Philly too, right? Yep, and played with him yeah. one
7: more year in Philly. But let me tell you something. Like I said, everybody should be blessed to play mm-hmm. one year. You don't have to play two or three or whatever, mm-hmm. and I got to play nine. Who's you know the biggest I mean? so what's the biggest takeaway? Just the way he came every day. Right. Pete Rose, I don't care what it is. Every game was like the seventh game of the World Series. Wow. Yeah. He's the only yeah. guy I've ever seen that could do that. Mm. I mean, every day it was like the seventh game of the World Series. I never, you know, rest, and not not me, not anybody else that I've ever seen could do that. Yeah, yeah so you come in sometimes, man, I'm feeling a little down. And I look over at Pete. <laughs> he said, man, let's go. You yeah. know, I mean, that's the way it is. I, I like to think that I helped him to understand a little bit more about what winning was about. He he didn't yeah. ever walk before. After I got there, he got a hundred walks. You know, he got on base more. We just, it, he just, we we helped each other. You know, and uh, I, I I say it all the time. I was just fortunate. Sparky knew what he was doing when he oh, locked yeah. me next to Pete. Nice. Yeah, Sparky so Sparky was that's a the way smart it was. man. Sparky was very smart. with team? And t-tune. he'll never get the credit he deserves for being the chief of that big red machine. Oh, man, oh, you man. guys were good too. Yeah. I love well, well, we were good, but Woo! but Sparky knew how to handle everybody.
1: Swinging a fly ball deep in a right field. Smith going back, and this one is gone. Goodbye, baseball. Little Jose Altuve with an opposite field home run to straightaway right. Astros now lead it by a score of four to nothing here in the bottom of the fifth. Joe, does he remind you of anybody? No. (laughs) (laughs) No. He's
7: amazing. I mean,. Just what he just did, hitting the ball to the opposite to the other way. field, hitting All a home run. Right. I you mean, don't see little five-foot guys hitting the ball the other way for a home run.
5: He's got ridiculous power. He does. And, and Altuve, that's his 11th career home run against the Mariners. Fourth mm. this year.
1: 18th home run of the season for nothing hurt. Houston. Yeah. yeah, he was hurt early it's in the year. Time. Yeah, Made that, up a lot of time.
7: Man, he is special.
1: Here is Michael Brantley visiting with the Hall of Famer Joe Morgan, honored by the Astros tonight, 16 into the Houston Astros Hall of Fame. First induction class. Hard to believe, but it finally happens here in 2019. What was it like seeing all those guys down there, Nolan Ryan, Mike Scott, (laughs) uh, the broadcasters that go in, Bob Elson, uh, Milo Hamilton, and all the other guys? That had to bring back some great memories.
7: Well, you know what? It showed me the memory. first thing I saw, they showed Mike Scott up on the thing throwing mm-hmm. and how that ball was disappearing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I said, how did anybody ever hit that? <laughs> well, they didn't they very didn't. often, yeah. <laughs> but, no, you're right. All those guys, Gene Elston, all those guys were here when I first broke in. Yeah. You know, Gene Elston was. Uh, Milo came later. But Gene Elston was here. Uh here's a swing and a fly ball and
1: a shallow left coming up is Ryan Court Court is there to make the catch and there's one away as Brantley flies out visiting with Joe Morgan
7: yeah it was interesting because Bob Assamonte was one of the original Colt 45 he was at one end and I'm kind of at the other Um, and they filled in between as they say (laughs) Uh, but no it was was really exciting and be out there on the field today with those guys and uh, you know like I said I have to tell you the truth I I um, Jimmy Wynn was my roommate all those years I was here. Oh, the toy cannon. And Jimmy's, you know, struggling now. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll then when it. I looked up there on the board to see who he was and what he was, I have yeah. to tell you, I, I, my eyes just watered up because I was his roommate when he'd be doing all those things, man, and we just yeah. celebrate together and whatever. And, uh, Good player. It's just it, a great player. Like man. I said, Jimmy Wynn – I'm going to tell you again, Jimmy wins, Cedeno, and Griffey Jr.
1: There's a shot fair down the left field line. Off the seats that angle out by Bregman. Bregman will hold at first base after the turn as the ball bounces out and the shortstop, J.P. Crawford, able to go out there and get it as the ball ricochets off those seats. So Alex Bregman is on at first base with one out. Here in the bottom of the fifth.
5: Quick question about Jimmy Win: Some of the video they had, they showed mm-hmm. him with the toothpick. Did he play with the toothpick?
7: Yeah, of he course. Did.
5: Yeah. So U. L. Washington Be got four. that from him.
7: Huh? Yeah, he had it in there. Jimmy did it all the time. Oh my wow. god! And people don't know about Jimmy. He had a, he swung a 36-inch, 36-ounce bat. Oh my goodness, a little guy. He's the only guy that could hit the ball out of the Astrodome consistently. Man, you know, he was wanna, amazing. Wanted to ask That's you. That's why I keep telling you how amazing he was mm. and the ability that he had. You know, so a lot of home runs. Yeah, I, I uh, again, I, I looked at those films and I felt remorse because I knew that he should have been a better player. Jimmy Wynn should be in the Hall of Fame. Cesar Cedeno, to yeah. me, should have made the Hall of Fame if they mm-hmm. would have reached their potential. Mm-hmm. Ken Griffey Jr. did. So, yeah. those are the three best young players I've ever no seen. No kidding. Yeah. Wow.
1: Here's a talented young man, D.H. Jordan Alvarez. One for two tonight, an RBI single, visiting with Joe Morgan. The pitch to Alvarez, a strike, and the Count evens at one ball and one strike. Have you seen D. this H- kid?
7: Yeah, but I've watched him because Enos Cabell and I talk all the time. He told me this kid is coming. Oh, he's special. He told me when they're coming. I don't know if I've ever seen him take an offer. I mean, I just <laughs> he's just amazing. I mean, and he hits the ball hard. Watch his balance. He's got stuff that young guys don't have. I mean, he's 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 got balance and he, we see he has strength but he can whip that bat through the zone but he can wait too see that's the difference a lot of young guys come up and you start doing this to them yeah oh uh, they can't hit this kid's not like that
1: joe was throwing a curveball by yeah, the way oh, i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> radio. you yeah. were great on tv by the way for many many years i love watching you. you the one-two pitch to alvarez is outside ball two two and two the eighth wonder of the world yeah the astrodome what in the world was it like when that when it
7: opened it was fantastic because it was so hot outside here you couldn't oh, play outside man, that yeah. had been
4: awful but it
7: was also very big yes. you know you couldn't hit the ball out of the ballpark unless you were jimmy Wynn. <laughs> <laughs> i mean really swinging
1: dick- a pop-up out of play on the left field side by alvarez two to the count. dick
7: allen hit one center field Yeah. The, Al- the first regular season game dick allen could make it go too now i yeah. mean you know yeah. i had to tell you guys a little story Straightaway right field was 390. Not, not right what? center. 390 straight away. Oh my goodness! And I had that 389 foot fly ball down to a tee. <laughs> that's why this. That's why this came in. Oh, and, you get the you know, flap. clap my the arm. Flap? It Came in. Well, it was, was to remind me to get my elbow away from my body.
1: Here's a swing and a line shot into the gap in right center field by Alvarez. Ronnie second. Heading for third is Bregman. Up with the ball is Smith. The throw in is going to be cut off by the second baseman Nola. Bregman will stop at third on a base and a single into right center by Jordan Alvarez. And now the Astros have runners on at first and
7: third with one out. The kid can flat out hit. I told you, I've watched him since he came up, and uh, he, you're right, he can hit.
5: Rick and I, Rick brought up a point yesterday. He said he's wearing 44, reminds, me, reminds him of stretch. I said
7: the style is a little bit different, but right. the presence is similar to McCovey and Starjump. Well they de- he definitely has a presence. Yes. <laughs> Every time he's hitting, I don't leave the room, as they say. I watch everything he does, and I've watched him. I don't, like I said, I don't think I've ever seen him go 0 for four. Mm. I mean, he is he is he's a stud. I mean he's hitting 320 or 330, whatever.
1: Yeah, 336 coming yeah. into the game, I mean, and he's two for three man, tonight.
7: Yeah, he's 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 their new stud. Yeah.
1: Here is Carlos Correa. Correa is one for two on the night. Astros lead at four to nothing on the home run by Altuve here in the bottom of the fifth inning. First and third for Houston with one out. The stretch and the pitch. to Correa from Gonzalez spins him away from ball one. And you're here for many years in Houston. But what was it like on that Big Red Machine? You had so much talent. And,
7: And so much fun. I mean, we talk about enjoying coming to the park every day. That was what the Big Red Machine was about. Everybody on that team loved playing the game. They knew what their role was. And it was just an amazing clubhouse. It was just unbelievable yeah. to go in there sometimes. And, hey, we'd come to the ballpark at 3 o'clock in the afternoon just so we could hang out with each other. Yeah. You know, we played 8 oh, o'clock man. games back in That's those right. days yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember, I remember
5: the, world, the 76 World Series, and the Yankees right. had a good team, and you guys oh, mauled yeah. them,
7: mauled we, them. 76, people say 75 was the best team, but it wasn't. 75, we won more games regular season. The '76 was the best team. We swept the Phillies in the playoffs. Yep. We swept the Yankees, and if we'd have had somebody else, we'd have swept them too. I don't think there's That's any question about it. That's how good we were yeah, at yeah. that point. We had everybody was at the top of their game. We didn't have any injuries. Everything was just smooth. Right. You know. I mean, your and bullpen was, was, was crazy good. Everybody acts like we didn't have any pitching, but like I said, yeah, you said, our bullpen did. was the best in the league. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah. We had we had no. We had Gary Nolan. We had Freddie Norman. We had Don Gullett, uh, um, who was a four, Jack Billingham. Those guys were – they could pitch, man. Here's a it's swing a, and a
1: foul back and out of playoff to our right, right. Yeah. almost to Joel Morgan, and the yeah. count is still <laughs> even on Korea. I would have gotten out of the and, way. That's the one yeah, thing I learned hey, in the broadcast yeah, booth. Yeah, yeah that's buddy,
7: a, that's exactly right. When I was with John Miller, he, he – you didn't try to catch. John, that hurts. The ball will hurt. I know, it does. I get out of the way. No, yeah. you can have I get it. If it stops rolling back here, I'll pick it up. There you go. The old Euchre line, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not definitely trying to catch any balls come up no, here. Those days are done, man. Marco yeah.
1: ready, and the 2 2 to Correa. Swing and a pop up. Straight up above home plate. Off of the mask is Narvaez. Now he comes back to the one he track. Quick adjustment. Reaches to his right, and he makes the catch. Correa pops it up. And Narvaez uh, with enough room behind home plate to get to it. And there's two outs now for the Astros with two on here in the bottom of the fifth inning.
5: Give me, uh, Joe, you're talking about Jackie Robinson. I was wearing right yeah. this 42 cap. Because, I mean, I-, I said outside of my old man, probably my greatest hero for what he did yeah. and what he enabled you and I to do. What was your contact with him over the years?
7: I, I was fortunate enough I only met him one time. Mm-hmm. And he was broadcasting Saturday night, Sunday, Saturday afternoon baseball here in Pee Wee Reese. Mm -hmm. And they were going to do our game in San Francisco. Here's the pitch to Gurriel. A swing and a
1: pop-up down the right field line. Long run for Vogelback and Nola, the second baseman, diving for the ball. And did he come up with it? No, he didn't. Just beyond the reach of Nola, diving behind Vogelback down that right field line. Could not make the catch, but what an effort by Austin Nola. 0-1 on Gurriel.
7: Well, it'll let me finish my story, because if he'd have caught that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jackie Robinson was going to broadcast the game. I right. couldn't sleep the night before, knowing that he was going to broadcast our game. I couldn't wait to get to the stadium, mm-hmm. just to walk and say hi to him. All, the, all night, I thought of things I was going to ask him. I'm going to ask him this. I'm going to ask him I was, all this stuff. I get to the park. And here he is, man. I almost panicked, but I walked up to him, showed you how nervous I was. All I could, only thing I could say to him was "thank you." Wow! And he he looked me in the eye. That said it all. I thank. That's the best thing I've ever done. I tell people, I just said "thank you," and he looked at me and he said, "You're welcome." And he gave me that big smile. Oh. Wow. And I said, if I'd have asked him all them dumb questions that I had, <laughs> I'd have looked like an idiot. I said, that's the first time I got lucky by not saying oh, anything.
1: That's all well, he wanted yeah, to hear. That's all he did. And that was yeah. enough.
7: I just said, thank you. And man, he smiled, oh, and I, we shook hands, and, and that's the only In, time. He was imagine, another guy that had yeah. presence, too, right? Oh, please. I, like Drake? I say, I was, hey, can you imagine? Oh. Yeah. I'm, Jackie Robinson, man. I'm, I'm waiting to yeah. see him. Yeah. Thank goodness it was yeah. Jackie, and Jackie yeah.
1: did what he did when he did it. Right. Well, you know, you're right. Open the doors. Fouled right. out of play down the right field side by Guriel. The count is now even at two balls and I two strikes. I think that's
7: one of the things that bothers me about today's game. Mm-hmm. They have honored Jackie, they've done everything, but it's not for the baseball honoring is for the players to honor him i don't feel that the players understand who he was and what he did i agree with i just don't think so our history yeah i I don't think they do and it's unfortunate like i say baseball does everything they can you know the 42 and the uh, april 15th every year but i don't think the players honor him because a lot of them didn't know anything about it
1: Here's a swing and a foul back and out of play again. Still two and two on Guriel. You
7: just made a good point. History, knowing your history of the game. I knew my history, to be honest with you, not that everybody should be like me, but I love baseball so much I wanted to know all about it. I knew all about the Negro Leagues before I got to the Big Leagues.
2: There you go. I
7: wrote my college thesis on the Negro Leagues because I wanted to know who these guys were that came before me.
1: Buck O'Neill should be in the Hall of Fame. Why isn't Buck in the Hall of Fame? Swinging He's, another fallback.
7: crime. He gets
1: seventeen people from the Negro leagues in the Hall of Fame. There's a little statue of Buck in the Hall of Fame. He's not in the Hall of Fame. Played for the Monarchs, managed for the Monarchs, kept the history of the Negro leagues alive. It was at Lee Smith,
7: Ernie Banks, who else? Uh, the bunch well, of first
1: African American coach in the oh, big man. leagues. Look,
7: I was on. I w- I'm on the board of directors at the Hall of Fame. We couldn't believe when the vote came back. Wow. And it wasn't. A, they could put any number they wanted. They had one shot at it. And they left Buck O'Neal off. They
1: went back in.
7: Yeah, they tried a couple of times. So what we did? We're gonna pop up to Joe Morgan. Yeah, right. Right in front of Joe.
1: (laughs) Hey, Joe, you gotta dive for that ball. Well, no, 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 no. (laughs) No,
7: We actually created the Buck O'Neal Award to try to honor him. Yeah. Yeah. Because he wasn't in that group that was honored, you know, by going into the Hall of Fame. I
5: always say just on his appearance in Ken Burns' baseball alone, that was enough to put him in the Hall of Fame, let alone
0: his work.
1: Swing and a ground ball to short. Backhanded by Crawford. All balanced for the first. Low throw picked in time by Vogelback to get Gurriel, and that will retire the side. What a play by shortstop. JP Crawford, Joe Morgan, yeah. thank you
7: so much. Well, that's a good for time coming for me by to leave on a big league play. Yeah, that's right, awesome. <laughs> and that was a big league play. Is newest it? Oh, member, it a pleasure, guys. I listen to you all the time. Great so. to see you, Joe. See good, to you. See you. good to see you, man. Okay, man.
1: Newest member of the Astros Hall of Fame. He's already in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Joe Morgan. We go to the top of the sixth the Astros lead at four to nothing.
0: And finally, here's a really great conversation. Aaron Goldsmith with Al Kaline, and part of the conversation. He'll talk about the great World Series showdown between himself and Bob Gibson.
6: Mr. Kaline, you have been with the Tigers since June of 1953. I suppose there's a good reason why you were called Mr. Tiger. Uh, your current role with the ball club, you are the special assistant to the president, Dave Dombrowski. Can you tell us a little bit about what your role is right now with the ball club? Well, first
8: of all, I was, uh, I was in the broadcast booth as an analyst with George Kell for 22 years, and then when my friend George uh, – uh, Mike Ilitch bought the ball club. He asked me if I would move into the front office and help him out and give my opinion on different situations. And then a short period after that, Dave Dombrowski joined the organization, and uh, and I, I have I've been working with Dave. And I sit in on most of all the meetings, uh, major league meetings. Uh, of course, I don't know everybody in, in the other minor leagues uh, for other teams, so I can't really make any comments on those guys. But I, I sit in on the major league meetings about uh, what our needs are, what uh, what we should do, and then I just give my opinion, and then, uh, and then they, they do what they want with it. <laughs>
6: <laughs> Your career is so vast, it's hard to even know exactly where to start. 22 years, of course, a Hall of Famer. I'd love to talk to you a little bit, Mr. K-Line, about your second full season in the major leagues, 1955. Uh, you're the youngest ever batting champion in the history of the game. You're only 20 years old. You hit 340. It was your first All-Star selection of 15 different times for the Midsummer Classic. Let's keep in mind you're 20 years old at the time. The All-Star roster that year had the names of Nellie Fox, Ted Williams, Mickey Mantle, Yogi Berra, Whitey Ford, Red Schoendienst. Stan the Man Musial, a couple of heroes of yours, Willie Mays, Ernie Banks. Uh, You're a kid. What was it like for you at County Stadium for that first All-Star game?
8: I tell you what, I was so nervous uh, uh, sitting in that locker room uh, with my favorite players. Uh, Of course, uh, Ted Williams was one of my favorites, and Mano was was the star at that time in, in all of baseball. And uh, and I, I was just – I wish I were a, more of a veteran because I wanted to be able to go over and talk to him and maybe get some autographs, <laughs> have my picture taken with him. But I was so shy and nervous that I just stayed away and just, just wanted, wanted to play
6: the game is all. It's pretty incredible when you think about where you were that young in your career and especially when you consider the fact that you went straight from an 18-year-old high schooler To the major leagues, a bonus baby. How difficult was that for you to make that transition? It was very hard. Uh, You know, uh,
8: I joined the team in Philadelphia, Philadelphia Athletics at the time, and uh, it was very hard. Uh, I was not uh, very welcomed by the players, obviously, because here's an 18-year-old kid out of high school, and I'm taking a veteran player's job. Uh, I had to stay in the big leagues for two years because I was a bonus player. I got over, I got $15,000 bonus. Uh, So I had to stay in the big leagues two years. And, but the players did not want anything to do with me. Uh, I was pretty much on my own. I had to find my way around. And, but the one thing I found out as soon as I put my uniform on and I could shag balls and fly balls and catch the ball like anybody on, on their, on our team at that time, I knew I could play the outfield now hitting, Different thing, 18-year-olds coming out of high school now facing major league pitchers. So uh, that was something I really had to work on, and I did. Uh, But fortunately for me, I was always a guy that put the ball in play, even though it wasn't for power. Uh, But uh, not too many guys just went right through me. I mean, I could put the ball in play, and and even though it wasn't
6: a hard hit ball all the time. But at least I didn't strike out all the time. That's a good point. You bring up that all-star season, that first one we were talking about. You had – Somewhere around eighty walks and only fifty some strikeouts, and you hit three hundred forty you just don 't see numbers like that anymore today yeah. and i 'm glad Mr. Kaline, you brought up the outfield ten gold gloves, and people remember your powerful arm and of course your ability to cover the field as well. Where did that develop for you over the course of your career before shagging fly balls maybe
8: you know I could always I could always, uh, I could always uh, judge the ball, run the ball down, and always for whatever reason, I always had a very strong accurate arm with, and I may not had had the strongest arm, but I would put my name next to the most accurate thrower that I've ever seen. I, I always threw the ball. I never threw the ball that far off line, like I, like you see today. Sometimes balls thrown twenty, thirty feet off line. I never threw the ball that far. And every once in a while, I might short hop the catcher or the third baseman, and and, and not give him a fair fair hop, but. Uh, I was always very accurate, and I took very uh, great pride in that, and that's something I don't think major league outfielders do today, take great pride in what they do in the outfield.
6: And which was more satisfying, a, a, maybe a late-inning home run or pegging a runner out at home plate from right field?
8: Well, they're both uh, equally uh,
6: <laughs> important. Uh, the
8: one thing about making a good play that I might be helping a, a pitcher uh, save his job. Mm. Uh, hitting a home run, uh, yeah, that's always great to – uh, to have a, a walk-off home run, and uh, but I took pride in my outfield because I knew that that pitcher out there was trying to fight for a job, and uh, if I could help save a
6: run or get out of an inning, it might help him stay in the big leagues. I'd love to talk to you a little bit about 1968 and the World Series against the St. Louis Cardinals. It was a an incredible World Series. It went seven games and. The Cardinals really had the upper hand early in that series. They won three of the first four, and the margin of victory was pretty extreme, it seems like, for each one of those Redbird wins. But bottom of the seventh, game five, you're at the plate. Tigers are down by a run, a two-run single from you, which gives the Tigers the lead. The Tigers would go on to win game six and, of course, win game seven to win the World Series. Can you, can you take us back to inside the batter's box, what that moment was like for you?
8: Yeah, well, it was great. I was I was very happy to be the guy up at the plate because I never was uh, afraid to fail. I always wanted the opportunity. And uh, if I failed, it wasn't because I wasn't trying. But I, I just wanted the opportunity. And uh, I was in there against uh, Joe Horner, who was a left-handed pitcher, and I knew all about him. I knew that his best pitch was, a, was turning the ball over, keeping the ball down and away from a right-hander. And even though it would have been nice to be able to hit a home run, but I knew that my best chance was a base hit up the middle, driving a run. And uh, that's what I tried to do. I, I anticipated that he was going to try to get me out with his best pitch. And uh, so I looked for his best pitch and was able to get a base hit to right center field to drive in a run. And uh, fortunately for us, uh, we,
6: we got ahead there and we stayed ahead from there on out. So now that we've established all this and the fact that you hit nearly 380 in those seven games in the World Series, a couple of home runs, eight RBIs, Can we talk about game one? (laughs) (laughs) Bob Gibson turned in an absolutely historic performance, five hits. You had one of them, a complete game shutout from another Hall of Famer and a World Series record, 17 strikeouts in an absolutely dominating performance. What do you remember about Bob Gibson in game one of the 1968 World Series? He's the toughest SOB I've ever faced.
8: <laughs> <laughs> that's, what, that's what I'm going to remember about him. But uh, he, he was just a, just a dynamite. And I'm glad I didn't have to face him for, very much in my career because uh, he, he was just one of the great guys. He was a mean son of a gun on the mound. Uh, he wasn't afraid to brush you back. Uh, and, uh, but for that game, I mean, I, it, was, it was just wonderful, even though we, he beat us, to see somebody with that much talent and that much desire to be great, uh, and uh, he absolutely was. So, uh, again, uh, I, I've got to be very good friends with Bob now that we're in the Hall of Fame, and, and I always keep saying that, Bob, how come you're always so mean on the mound you want to knock guys down? He says, well, you know, I don't mind them hitting balls when I throw a pitch inside, but when they lean out over the plate and hit that ball low outside and hits one, that, that makes me mad, and the next time I face them, I always knock them down.
6: Was Bob Gibson
8: the most intimidating pitcher that you faced in your 22-year career? I would say he was. Uh, he's up there pretty close to it. Uh, yeah, I would say he was. He was very intimidating. But Bob always says that you know he said everybody says I'm staring at him all the time. He said they didn't realize I couldn't see the signs, so I was staring at <laughs> I was staring at the catcher with a mean growl on my face, but I couldn't see the signs from the catcher, and the
6: hitters all thought I was uh, staring at them. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. We would never, we would never know that. Uh, your 3,000th hit came in your hometown of Baltimore, a double into the corner in right field. What was that moment like for you when you rounded into second base, you stood up, and your, your parents were there at the ball game. And what was that moment like? Well, it
8: was, it was great. You know, I, I had asked the, our general manager uh, if, if they wanted me to wait to uh, get it in Detroit. And they said, no, you go out and get it uh, whenever you can uh, because of Roberto Clemente had, uh, you know, got his last one, and unfortunately, he, he, you know, he got a terrible accident and was killed. Uh, but uh, so the next best thing was in Baltimore, my hometown. I had a, certainly my mom and dad and some family members there, and a lot of my, my high school buddies and stuff were all at the games to watch the game. So if, if we have a little bit of time, I'll tell you a little story about Dave McDowell, who was uh, the pitcher I got the base hit off of. Dave called me in spring training. And says, Al, he says, my brother and I are trying to get a Ford dealership in Idaho, someplace where he he lived in the off-season. Do I know Lee Iacocca? I said, yeah, Lee's a very good friend of mine, good friend of mine. He says, and so anyhow, he says, we're trying to get a Ford dealership. So anyhow, I call Mr. Iacocca, and I said, Dave McNally. He says, okay, I'll have somebody call Dave. And make a long story short, they were able to get the Ford dealership in the next little town. So Dave calls me. Once the season started, he says, said, I want to thank you for getting the Ford dealership. And I, I dreamt that you got your 3,000 hit off of me. Sure enough, in September, I got my base hit off of Dave McNally, who I wore out anyhow. because <laughs> he was
6: left-handed. And I got a double down the right field line. That's incredible. What, do you remember what your, your first conversation was like with him once it happened? Because that's amazing that he had the premonition that it would happen that way.
8: No, actually, I never, I never talked to him after that. I mean, he, he just had called me on the phone and, and thanked me for helping me get the Ford dealership and uh, that he dreamt that uh, I, I would get the, uh, the base hit off of him. And I had forgot all about it. And then once I got over to the, uh, the locker room after the game, he called me and says, I told you you were
6: going to <laughs> so it was uh, it So was, it anyhow, was, it was very nice of him, yeah. Now, going back to an earlier comment, that was awfully thoughtful of you to ask the Tigers if they wanted you to wait. Had they had said yes, that they wanted you to wait till the Tigers got back home, do you have any idea what you would have done in the batter's box for however many more at-bats you would have had sitting on 2,099 hits? Yeah, you know, it was, it was uh, an, uh, at least four
8: or five games before we would have gotten back to the, Detroit for, uh, uh, you know, for a chance to get the uh, 3,000 hit, but... Again, uh, you know, I don't know what I would have done. I Certainly, I wouldn't have gone to the plate and try to make it out because uh, there was only one time I was glad to ever make it out in my life, and that was the first time I was called to pinch hit when I was 18 years old. First game in the major leagues, and uh, Freddie Hutchinson, our manager, didn't even know my name. He says, hey, kid, grab a bat. It was the eighth inning, and, of course, I didn't have a bat. It was uh, much too heavy for me, and I pinched it and hit the first pitch to center field for an out, and I was the only time I was ever happy to
6: make it out. Well, Well, we'll wrap up from going from your first ever major league at bat to 1980 in Cooperstown, New York, when you're inducted into the Hall of Fame. And two of the first names that you mentioned in your speech were two players that you called inspirations to you to want to be a major leaguer, Ted Williams and Stan the Man Musial. Can you tell us what it was about each one of those players growing up that you admired so much? Well,
8: Stan Musial was always my my all-time, all-around favorite player because uh, he he was sort of a guy I try to model myself after, uh, hitting the ball to all fields, able to run a little bit. uh, And, uh, and of course, Ted was always considered the the greatest hitter of all time, and everybody would try to – uh, emulate, uh, be a hitter like Ted Williams. I got to be very friendly with Ted Williams. He liked me a lot, and we've had great conversations over, uh, during our careers and while he was alive. And, uh, but uh, they, they, they were two uh, guys that I idolized. Uh, I, really, I really loved Ted Williams, not only for, for his baseball skills, but for the type of man he was on and off the field. Uh, he, he was really my all-time idol.
6: So you talk about both those players, and as we talked about earlier, they're in the first All-Star game you appear in. Of course, Williams is on the same side as you in the same clubhouse. Stan Musial is on the National League side. Did you say anything to Stan Musial or to Ted Williams in that first All-Star game? I don't remember saying anything to anybody, to be (laughs)
8: honest with you. I was too nervous, but I was was a leading vote-getter that year because I was leading the league. And uh, I w- I played the whole game, and Stan Musial hit a home run in the extra innings to beat us in Milwaukee. So I remember that part of it. And if you ever see the highlights of Stan Musial hitting a home run, I'm that little outfielder going to the fence <laughs> when-, when the ball's over. And so, uh, uh, no, I would I, you know I, I wish that like, like I said, I wish I was a more of a veteran, experienced guy. But being uh, uh, just 20 years old and uh, and, and being in an All Star game with all these great, great, great players, I wish I'd have had. <laughs> been able to say more and talked a little bit but I I was always thought if you're young and a rookie sort of like a rookie keep your
6: mouth shut and, and go play baseball Mr. Kaline this has been an absolutely <laughs> incredible experience thank you so much for all the time and all the tremendous stories this has been a real honor thank you so much oh this is great thanks for asking me and uh, I've been blessed to be
8: uh, not only a fairly good baseball player but be in this great game for a long time